The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. This is the show that brings you a psychological perspective on common and current life issues. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Hi, I'm Suzanne Phillips. Thanks for joining me again on Psych Up Live. Over a third of Americans believe that global warming is a hoax. And over half believed that Lee Harvey Oswald did not act alone in the assassination of John F. Kennedy. You're right. Our topic today is conspiracy theories. And our expert is Dr. Frank McAndrew, who returns to Psych Up Live to answer the question, why do we fall for conspiracy theories? Dr. McAndrew will be defining conspiracy theories illuminating what makes them attractive to many, and why we hang on to them despite evidence to the contrary. Dr. McAndrew is the Cornelia H. Dudley Professor of Psychology at Knox College and an elected fellow of several professional organizations, including the Association for Psychological Science. He's an evolutionary social psychologist whose research is guided by the simple desire to make sense of everyday life. His research has appeared in dozens of scientific journals, and he has written for a wide range of news outlets, including Time Magazine, The Washington Post, The New Republic, The Guardian. His research has also been featured in media outlets like The New Yorker, NPR, The BBC, CNN, New York Times, Washington Post, The NBC Today Show. His research has been shared on Twitter. And he's a frequent guest on TV and radio news talk programs. Dr. McAndrew has lectured throughout the United States and in countries ranging alphabetically from Denmark to Tanzania. Dr. Frank McAndrews, it is my great pleasure to welcome you back to Psych Up Live. And it is my even greater pleasure to be back. Okay, thanks. So here we go. Let's start, Frank, by asking what is a conspiracy theory? Well, you can probably define it in different ways, but some things that always seem to be present is you're talking about a group of people that are out to get you or at least to hide something from you. So they have bad intentions. They are conspiring to uh, do something bad. Uh, It's always something important. It's something that is going to have huge political or health implications for people. And so, um, yeah, we just believe there's a cabal of bad actors out there and uh, they're trying to hide the truth from us. So they they are telling us something that's not true about some event that's happened in our lives. And or potentially will happen in our lives. Oh, okay. Okay. Right. So the question becomes, Why do people believe in them? Well, there are so many different reasons why you might believe in it. But the the biggest one is simply there are some things you want to believe. And so whenever there's a whiff of any information out there that confirms that's true, we're drawn to it like a moth to a flame. And so before we even hear anything about the conspiracy theory, we're wide open to accepting what it has to say. And a lot of the critical 
guardrails that we have up when we're listening to something we really don't want to believe kind of disappear. We make it a little easier for that information to get through. So does it happen? I mean, um, the the blog you wrote on it and, and material other people have written suggests that if it's a situation where there's a lot of anxiety, let's take the pandemic, for instance, people are desperately concerned about what's real and what's not real. And so they begin to gather as a, I'd say would they gather the information to calm down because I'd rather believe it was caused by um, an infiltration of the health system or something that came from another country that we refuse to recognize than to accept the fact that we're struggling with a pandemic and we actually don't have all the answers. That's right. Fear creates a sense of urgency. And especially when it involves something that can directly impact your life. So using the pandemic as an example, uh, if there's this disease out there that might potentially kill you, but there's also vaccines out there that might potentially kill you, this creates a paralysis. You don't know what to do, uh, but you desperately feel this need to resolve it in some way. And if the conspiracy theory tells the story that you want to hear, then you start going down that road rather than the other one. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things, one of the conspiracy theories that I read about was the death of surrounding Princess Diana. And I thought to myself, what perpetuated so many theories? Was it the horror and the extreme loss people found? Like, it can't be true. It cannot be true that this was just an accident. It had to be her soon-to-be husband's family who didn't want him to marry the princess. It had to be the royal family who somehow didn't want her to go forward with her life. There was even a conspiracy she was pregnant that was debunked. And I thought sometimes we just can't tolerate it. I once went to a, um, a, a, a dental hygienist and the wall that I was staring at were hundreds of pictures of Princess Diana. And <laughs> and throughout my entire cleaning, this woman insisted on making me a believer that either the princess, I can't even remember, wasn't alive or definitely, now I'm remembering, the royal family killed her. So it, it becomes, some for some people, an extraordinary passion, Frank, almost an obsession. Well, there were also... Uh conspiracy theories that she had faked her own death so she could so she could disappear and get out of the limelight and out of all the drama and so uh it's going to be hard to endorse both of those right you can't believe that she faked her own death and also believe that the royal family killed her so you have to choose sometimes between (laughs) which conspiracy theory you're going to believe but uh, i think princess diana is a good example of the kind of situation that really fuels these kinds of conspiracies. She was a very famous, well-liked person. So she was sort of a friend-in-law to all of us. Everybody knew who she was. Everybody had feelings about her, usually positive. She was somebody you could talk about with any stranger that you met. You instantly had a connection to talk about her. And on top of that, we had all the drama of her marriage and her children and her love affairs with these other guys. And on top of that, we have this stuffy royal family as the backdrop 
uh, and it created this perfect storm of things to be interested in. And there were so many coincidences, it seemed, at the time. How could it be that first she's getting divorced and then the royal family is upset with her and then suddenly she's dead? They have to be connected. Um, yes. People yes. are uncomfortable a lot of people are very uncomfortable with ambiguity. They, they like closure. They want to know. Uh, some are more comfortable saying, well, who knows? But so people who are more in need of closure, who want clarity, who want an explanation, are more quick to endorse a conspiracy theory than those who are more comfortable with just saying, I don't know. So would you say, you know, that brings us to the characteristics of people who are more inclined to believe conspiracy theories. So difficulty with ambiguity is one. Are there any other characteristics that you would share? I think that's probably the big one. But uh, on top of that, you're only going to form conspiracy theories about things that you have a real investment in or an interest in. So uh, you're going to be looking for people who are political junkies if you're looking at conspiracy theories in the political realm or people who are fans of the royals uh, if you're looking at Princess Diana sort of conspiracies. So um, in addition to that personality quirk, you're also going to need people who gravitate to that topic. Mm -hmm. Now, one thing you say in your blog, which I think is so interesting, is that one litmus test for sure about belief in conspiracy theories is that if you believe in one conspiracy theory, the chances you will believe in another are pretty big. Yes, because what you've done is already sort of fallen into a way of thinking about the world and how you decide what's true and what isn't. Now, for me, the amazing thing about the ability to embrace most conspiracy theories is the number of unbelievable things you have to put together for it to work. Uh, you're not just believing one unbelievable thing because that unbelievable thing rests on another unbelievable thing. And the number of people involved, the number of people who have to be in cahoots with each other to make the conspiracy work is usually pretty large. Mm -hmm. So, so if we're talking about a political uh, conspiracy theory, you know, like the vaccines or whatever it might have been. Uh, we're talking about the whole uh, National Institute of Health. We're talking about the federal government. We're talking about the whole medical establishment. We're talking about thousands of people conniving to deceive you. And for some reason, none of them are talking. Everybody keeps the secret. And that, you know how hard it is if you spread a little bit of gossip to a group of four friends. Before you know it, that's out. And we all accept that it's unlikely that people are going to keep a secret like that. But at the same time, if you're into conspiracy theories, you're willing to believe that thousands of people are keeping a secret. Well, I think you even write in the blog, part of the conspiracy is that they're keeping the secret. And <laughs> I mean, that, that's part of it. The, there's no way out. There's no, no there way isn't, out. No, no. If they say, if they deny it, it's just proof that yes. they're hiding something from you. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, the, the very interesting thing, and I want our listeners to really think about themselves when it comes to this, and that is you say that as much as there are people who are more suited in terms of believing conspiracy theories, who have more difficulty be, uh, with ambiguity, all of us, in terms of the way we think cognitively, actually are set up to believe 
some things that may not be true uh, in terms of our cognitive biases, you call them. So let's talk a little bit about that. Sure. Uh, I do think any of us can get sucked into a conspiracy theory. I think uh, some people it will happen to more easily than others, but we all walk around with sort of cherished beliefs and sacred cows. We all walk around with affirm opinions about who the good people in the world and who the bad people in the world are. And we actively embrace any information that tells us that we're right about that. And so even those of us who are scientists who pride ourselves on our critical thinking still are suspicious of certain politicians or uh, certain stories that are being told about a drug. And whenever I hear information that might give me ammunition uh, to argue with other people in favor of my position, I'm very keen to know about this. And I might not think about it as carefully and critically as I should, just because I want it to be true. <laughs> I, I just want it to be true. Uh, and so I think any of us can fall for that. We, we do try to confirm uh, our biases. On the other hand, if we start hearing some information that contradicts our cherished beliefs, it's not that we won't possibly be convinced ultimately, but it's going to be a much harder road. I'm going to look for every argument against the information I'm hearing. I'm going to look for any reason to dismiss it. And I really put it through the ringer before I finally say, okay, well, maybe I was wrong and this is the way it is. Whereas on the flip side of that, it's just not as rigorous a, a process, I think. Well, the other thing, the other thing you say about what you call confirmation bias is we even, and I, I'm guilty of this thought, you remember what you want, what confirms what you believe. You remember yes. that. Whereas you, you, you know, you're, you're already fighting in your head with something you don't believe. So the chances of that making an impression and being remembered really drops. So confirmation bias, and that may be, that's true of all of us, whether you're a, a big conspiracy believer or not. And that is, we remember what we want to remember. And we remember what confirms what we believe in. Yeah. And when we remember things, our memory is an internet. It's a really complex network of information that all ties together into a system. And it's very easy to find information that fits into that system and it doesn't disrupt anything. But the problem with information that uh, goes counter to your beliefs is it's not just like you're trading one belief for another. That starts breaking connections to other things. In this. It's a much more cognitively difficult thing to do. Mm -hmm. you're, tear you're tearing down a whole structure to rebuild another one. And we resist that in, unless we absolutely have no choice. Mm. Well, it fits in in terms of confirmation bias, um, why we have certain favorite news shows we watch, why we only subscribe to certain newspapers, why we are scrolling on Twitter, list, reading some people who we and we would never read other people. So we just keep um, fueling the belief system that we want to hold on to. I think maybe more than ever, and we'll get to this when we talk about social media, more than ever, it is easy to stay locked in to a conspiracy theory and hard to untangle from it. 
Yeah, that's absolutely true. And another thing that it allows us to do, we don't like to experience negative emotions. And so being exposed to information that you find incorrect or uh, untrue or just offensive in some way riles you up and it gets you upset and it makes you angry. And if you're watching the right programs, you can avoid that because uh, you're not being exposed to that kind of information. And I'm guilty of this myself. I sometimes tune into networks that I'm not particularly fond of the political orientation of. And I watch it for 10 or 15 minutes and I find myself muttering under my breath and my blood starting to boil. And uh, I understand the reaction that people have. Uh, you and I are both of an age where we can remember when there were only three networks to look at and everybody was looking at the same thing. And so it's that true. had, yeah, that had a couple of side effects. Uh, first of all, we all knew the same stuff. And secondly, the networks had to walk a finer line and not give such extreme uh, points of view because yes. they would lose viewers. And so I think you're right. The The splintering of media has made this whole thing much more of a problem. Mm. Now, what do you mean? Let's talk about belief perseverance. That's related to this. Yes. Uh, and it's very similar. Belief perseverance and confirmation bias are kind of first cousins. Um, once we believe something to be true, we work very hard to maintain that. And confirmation bias is sort of the tool that we use to keep that belief alive. Uh, mm. We actively hunt for and remember information that will allow that belief to continue to exist. Mm -hmm. So I, I think they're two sides of the same coin. Okay. Now, um, someone wrote about four basic principles that are characteristic of conspiracy theories. And the first was one we were talking about before the show, holding a conspiracy theory. And this is more and more true in terms has a consequence, and often, as you were saying before the show, an impact on families. Yes, you're you're going to have conspiracy theories about things that matter a lot to you. Uh, if something is kind of uninteresting to you or unimportant to you, you're just not going to do the cognitive work necessary to concoct and think about a conspiracy theory, because who cares? You don't care what the reason for whatever that phenomenon is. Uh, it's only when something hits home to you for some reason, be it political or personal, that uh, it becomes a big part of your life. We, we talked about, Frank and I were talking about the last year's holidays. We'll see what happens with this year's, but so much contention in family members about who was vaccinated, who wasn't, who would wear a mask, who got tested, who believed there even was such a thing as COVID, um, who was, people were, you know, planning memorials. I mean, so that one of the things we do have a problem with in terms of conspiracy theories is the fallout. And more than ever, it seems, we have personal, familial, um, marital sometimes fallout with um, belief systems um, and the echo chambers that people have going constantly on their phones and, and on the TVs. The other thing is there's nothing new about conspiracy theories. They, they've been around a long time, I would say, right? Oh, yeah. I think they've been around as long as people have been around. Uh, 
but it's in the 21st century world with uh, instant access to all kinds of media, especially media that tells you what you want to hear, that it has amplified the problem beyond what it once was. And as you were just talking, uh, it made me think of something else about families. It re in a, a perverse sort of way, the conflict with families you would think would sort of weaken your acceptance of the conspiracy theory because you would say, well, it's not worth believing this if it's going to drive a wedge between my loved ones and myself. But in a perverse sort of way, I think what happens is if you see yourself not wanting to talk to your siblings anymore or having a falling out with your spouse, you better believe this really is true because the cost is pretty high. Right. And so when you see yourself engaging in this extreme kind of behavior, it reinforces the view that uh, A, you, what you're doing is right, and B, what you're doing, you feel really confident is the right thing. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, how could you explain to yourself why you're you know, getting divorced or not speaking to your family anymore? Uh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It redoubles the effort. Mm -hmm. One of the things that you you mentioned and this other article mentioned is um, conspiracy theories are generally based, they're more based on emotional perspective rather than actual research. That's right. Uh, we go with our gut. You know, we deep down, we know what must be true. And it's just a matter of details to find the right information to be able to communicate that to other people. I think if we were just going to walk around on our own, believing things or not, the emotion is probably enough. In some ways, uh, we feel like we need to get information just as a way of explaining to other people or convincing other people why what we feel to be true is in fact true. Mm. Well, in, in fairness to everyone, when it came to COVID, the scientists working as quickly as they could but one thing that fueled the conspiracy theories is you don't you didn't have you had science but you didn't have it often in a way that could be easily disseminated in a way that people understood it and i think as much as they tried the pushback made it even more difficult and so when you have an atmosphere of fear you don't have final scientific findings because you're in the middle of the research on a new disease you're really in an environment where you know conspiracy theories could easily bloom well in that particular conspiracy theory i think in my own dealings with relatives and other people a couple of different things were very i mean revealing to me one was the extent to which most people don't really understand how science works uh the idea that it isn't just one study and there are the results and that's how it is right. you have to have hundreds and hundreds of studies and over time you build a consensus about how things are so if they see two studies that contradict each other what that tells them is scientists don't know what they're talking about so why should i listen to them and they also are not good at distinguishing legitimate sources of information from uh, less trustworthy sources of information. You go on the internet and there's a flashy website and they all look the same and they use some of the same language. And so it, I, I was frustrated sometimes when uh, people would tell me about why they're not getting vaccinated and point me in this direction or that direction. And there's no scientific backing behind it, but they couldn't see the difference. Mm -hmm. the, other th the other thing that was happening 
during the pandemic too, is somehow something that seems like a straightforward health issue, should you get vaccinated or not, got tied up with all kinds of other things, your political views, your religious positions, um, your you, you perceive as an attack on your intelligence if somebody tells you that that information you're paying attention to is bogus. And so people are really going to be resistant to alternative points of view because now it's not just a debate about whether a vaccine works or not. It's a debate about whether your religious views and political views are correct or evil and whether you're a smart enough person to know the truth or not. And so what you're really arguing about then is no longer just about the vaccine. It becomes a very personal, very visceral kind of thing. Absolutely. You know, we're going to take a break. You've been listening to Psych Up Live, and as you've been hearing him speak with Dr. Frank McAndrew, we're talking about conspiracy theories. What makes them so tempting? How How is it that they've been around forever, and can they ever be shifted? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back. You're listening to Psych Up Live. I'm Suzanne Phillips, and I'm here with Dr. Frank McAndrew, and we're talking about conspiracy theories. Um, And one of the topics that 
you talk about in your very important blog is false consensus. Frank, tell us a little bit about how that fits into our conversation. Sure. Uh, Well, false consensus is something that uh, we all tend to do. We think of ourselves as normal, competent, likable people. And therefore, we think of our own beliefs and attitudes and behaviors as what normal, competent people do. And uh, on the flip side of that, on occasion, uh, we have the ability to engage in what's called false uniqueness. We see ourselves as having special qualities uh, that set us apart from other people. But most of the time, we see uh, what we do as being the thing that most, what most decent people would do. And so when it comes to conspiracy theories, when we believe something to be true, we, by the default option is to believe we're believing the sensible thing. We're believing the thing that most people would find convincing. And in the world that we now live in, where you can choose which television network you're going to watch, uh, which social media you're going to pay attention to, that feeds into this false consensus because everything you're seeing agrees with what you already believe and therefore it confirms that other people do believe what you do and almost everybody that you believe or everybody that you see believes the same thing so it it reinforces this idea that you must be right and you start feeling pretty confident all of these people couldn't be wrong and the only people that are disagreeing with me are these nutcases that look at that other channel they're not decent, normal, smart people like me. Mm-hmm. So you're implying something that it's interesting online, you can get different perspectives on it. But wouldn't we say that social media, um, the ability to get an opinion in about a millisecond from your phone, has in some way fueled conspiracy theories? Oh, I think it absolutely has. Because what it's done, I think conspiracy theories have always been around. But uh, when the media wasn't so fragmented, you were forced to constantly be exposed to contradictory information, and you weren't getting uh, sort of the fire hose of information that just agrees with what you already believe. And so social media gave us that option to uh, direct our attention only in the places that um, reassures us, makes us comfortable, where we find like-minded intelligent people that uh, we want to associate with, and we completely can ignore the other side of the argument. And the only thing we hear about that now are attacks on it from people in our social media. So we're hearing negative information about the other point of view only. We're not getting a dispassionate, here's the two sides of the issue. So let's move to the qualities again on people who tend to um, embrace conspiracy theories. There's very little research that seems to indicate there's any difference in gender, any gender differences from what I could read. Um, Have you found that to be true at all? I don't think there is much on that. I think I would have run across that and that I would have a confident opinion about that. So I think I think research on conspiracy theories is actually relatively new. It's probably just been going on seriously for 15 to 20 years. And as far as I can tell, gender doesn't seem to be a big factor. There may be certain conspiracy theories that men are more likely to believe in than women uh, or women more likely than men. But I don't think overall there's a tendency for men or women to be more 
susceptible to the conspiracy theories. Uh, have you come across anything that distinguishes age as a factor in belief in conspiracy theory? Uh, I have not. Um, I think it's a very human tendency. Uh, and whether you're an old human or a young human, I think you're still going to share that tendency. I think the one thing that might distinguish the ages, I, I don't have any data on this or seen any studies, but to the extent that older people have not gotten sucked into social media bubbles because they're not into the technology as much, mm -hmm. they, they may be less likely to be endorsing these simply because A, they don't know about them as much, and B, uh, even if they have heard of them, they're not in a place where they're constantly being fed information that confirms mm -hmm. them. So I think the more, the more active you are on social media, which would be more likely to be younger people than older people. I, I agree. Um, very elderly people usually are just hearing and becoming increasingly anxious, the arguing in the home that they're in uh, from <laughs> other family members about what is real and what is not. Now, there was, we were talking about it a little before the show, there was a, a article published in Neuroscience in 2023, and the name of it was Conspiracy Theories More Than Paranoia. And they reviewed 170 studies with 158,000 participants um, to identify the reason for belief in conspiracy theories. What they found it was a need to understand and feel secure in their environment and a sense of superiority over other people. So what do, what do you think when, when you get that kind of finding? Well, certainly the finding about needing the explanation that goes back to something we talked about earlier of people who are uncomfortable with not having a clear answer people who are not tolerant of ambiguity are in fact more likely to embrace conspiracy theories and that's been fairly well established uh but the superiority thing i i think the personality trait that might come closest there would be narcissism and if somebody is a dyed-in-the-wool narcissist by definition they feel pretty good about themselves. They think they're smarter than other people. They think they're better than other people. They think they're more moral than other people. And therefore, whatever their beliefs are, are going to be superior to those of other people. And conspiracy theories are a, a tool that they use to not only confirm that for themselves, but to show other people, um, look how dumb you are, mm -hmm. not being able to see this deep state government conspiracy that's sucking the life out of this country. What's the matter with you? I see it and other smart people see it. Just look at, here's, here's the story. Uh, so I do think that I would not be surprised if in fact uh, individuals who uh, very quickly think well of themselves and are confident of their opinions are, are going to be more likely to fall into the conspiracy theory trap. Well, their, their willingness or even, I'll say, emotional capability of considering that another person might have something to offer them or might invite them to consider something different than what they believe is even emotionally difficult for someone who's ex who really has a narcissistic personality disorder or even just a narcissistic trait. So it seems like it made a certain amount, it makes a certain amount of sense. You know, the, the, the title's More Than Paranoia. We are all agreeing that an atmosphere of anxiety, and I would even say, Frank, tell me what you think. Anxious people may be more susceptible 
to conspiracy theories because they so much want an answer that they guess the thought of, I don't know what's happening and I'm not so sure what I should do and should, I mean, think of all of us at the beginning of COVID, should we wipe everything down? Should I leave the house? To get an answer, even if it's not exactly or not at all based on science, relieve some anxiety. Yeah, I think that's a, an excellent argument. I think that uh, people who are more are more anxious, just their normal baseline, they're just walking around more on edge, are going to be more quickly terrified by threats, whether it's from a disease or a government conspiracy or whatever it might be, or a dangerous vaccine for that matter. And they're going to be more quick and more motivated to find some way of resolving that because it's simply more unpleasant for them. Uh, Their anxiety was already high. Now it's really high and you can't walk around and function like that. I need an answer. I need somebody to blame. I need a solution that I know I can trust. And uh, I, I, so I wouldn't be surprised if it did sort out exactly the way you suggested. Mm -hmm. So um, the other thing that you point out um, adds to all of our um, belief systems is what you call the ex- the mere exposure effect. Let's talk a little bit about that. Sure. That's a, another one of those tried and true social psychology principles. Uh, advertisers depend on it big time. Um, the more often you're exposed to something, whatever that is, we become, it becomes more familiar to us, more predictable, more likable. And so when you hear a brand new song that you've never heard before, the first time you hear it, it just sort of kind of goes in one ear and out the other, but maybe you kind of liked it. But then you hear it again and again, and pretty soon you know the words and you know the, and you just really like it. Uh, Us old people walk around in the grocery store hearing songs from our youth in the 1970s playing all the time. And it kind of takes us back and and it's a pleasant experience. We like it because it's familiar. Political candidates, this this is why they spend all that money on campaign ads. When you go in there to vote, especially for local elections where you may not know the person because they're not a national celebrity, when you're trying to choose between candidates, well, that name that you know and you can picture the person's face, they're more familiar uh, than that other person that you don't even recognize, so you're more likely to vote for them. So we're drawn to the familiar, the thing that we've been exposed to a lot. Unfortunately, that applies to conspiracy theories as well. The first time you hear it, you might say, well, that sounds crazy. Uh, Then you hear it again. Then you think about it a little more carefully. And then you hear it a third time from somebody who you ordinarily trust and think well of. And then you keep hearing it. And now it becomes part of the background of your life. And it must be true. Uh, it's more familiar. It doesn't seem as strange to you. And if it keeps getting repeated, you start to say, well, people wouldn't still be talking about it if it had been debunked. And so it must be true. The, The mere fact that it survives becomes all the evidence that you need to accept it as true. And I would say you, you, you're more the expert on this. Very few conspiracies get debunked. I mean, I think for the very reason you just said, there is always someone who will fuel it. There is always something you can listen to or hear and or people join groups and associate with other people who believe in it. And when you have a group belief system, you're safe. 
I mean, people, you know, people find a relational home for their um, trauma, and they also find a relational home for their conspiracy theories. Absolutely. The, 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 so the question becomes, if a, if a couple comes to you um, and they believe in disparate or different um, beliefs, let's say, about COVID, um, certainly, I don't even want to get into the war, but that it, different kinds of things. But well, let's say COVID and the next year of what COVID will bring. Um, the question becomes, how do people find a pathway without losing face or without the rift that we spoke about before the show that some families are suffering? How does a family, how does a couple, A, find a pathway to at least stay connected, although in some ways they have very disparate beliefs. How do they not um, impose these on children who haven't had, who don't have the background and are just very often the children in the face of anxiety, in the face of COVID were anxious. Children were anxious. Teens were anxious. So whatever the family was feeling or believing that was what they were hearing because they weren't going anywhere. Yes, they were on their phone, but they were on their phone about Taylor Swift, not about COVID. Yeah. So th- let's talk about how we reduce the noxious impact of conspiracy theories. Yeah, and they're going to be most noxious in situations where the couple involved, both people feel strongly about it. Um, if you let's say you have a difference of opinion about the effectiveness of a vaccine with you and your partner, but both of you sort of think, well, COVID's not that big of a deal anyway. So even if I get it, it's going to be just like getting a cold and you're not that worried about it. And if the kids get it, they'll be fine. Then in that situation, even though there's a difference of opinion, um, it won't trickle down and be that upsetting for the children because it just doesn't matter that much. And I think if you have a situation where one member of the couple feels very strongly about it and the other one not so much, that might work too because the more passive partner says, sure, you know, I, this really matters to you. I disagree, but I don't care. It's all right. It's when you get two people who really care about it and have strong opinions and you're just not going to be able to resolve that. And this is true in any family situation. Uh, take religion, for example. <laughs> you have two people who get married uh, with very different religious points of view, and that works okay until they have children. And then suddenly, we're, we got to raise these kids a certain way. And my religion, of course, is the correct one. And so that's the way that they've got to be raised. That's mm-hmm. when the trouble starts. So I think uh, the key factor is how invested each person is in the position on whatever the conspiracy happens to be. Yeah, what as you're talking, I'm thinking those things those things that actually pulled the couple out of their particular opinion were when institutions like schools, medical settings said you can't come in without a mask. And of course, we saw the political backlash, but in fact, most people wanted their children in school. And so, I mean, there were posters in my neighborhood that stop masking our kids. And, you know, the, it, it was it was hard to see them, but people have different opinions. But nonetheless, they wanted their children in school. Mm-hmm. And so the same thing about inoculations for children in school um, that, 
you know, when kids have to have a certain number of inoculations to be in the school, parents really don't have a choice or they'll pull their child out and send them to a school that doesn't ask that. But just for the welfare of children, sometimes it's an outside agency or structure or organization that takes the middle stand or takes the stand that is closest to science. But it's the it's a funny thing that conspiracy theories are looked at as a solution to reduce anxiety, but the maintaining of them often creates quite a bit of anxiety and conflict. Yes, you're trading one kind of anxiety for another, I think. But you're uh the, the school thing with the masks in my own neighborhood, yes, there were competing front yard signs, but they all had the same message, regardless of which side you run. We have to save the children. Right. Right. Uh, on the right. one side, we want to protect them from the disease, make sure they're vaccinated, they wear masks. From the other side, it was let the kids be kids. Uh, free them from the shackles of the government telling them how to live their life, uh, protect them from this dangerous vaccine. And it's very perverse because it'll be much easier if you had one side arguing, we got to save the children, and the other side saying, ah, who cares about the children? <laughs> That's right. But no, in this case, both of them are taking the moral high ground with very directly opposed positions on what you need to do. And it, this, again, feeds into the conspiracy theories because people who were against masks and vaccines were really against the man, government, uh, the deep state telling you what to do in your personal life. Uh, so we don't want the school board or the mayor or the federal government or Dr. Anthony Fauci telling us how to live our lives. Now, it's curious uh, well, this is a whole other topic, but how what people don't want is the government telling them how to live their lives, but they do want the government telling other people <laughs> how they should be you know, living their life. So yeah. it, it's hard to get around that one, but that's kind of off topic. Well, as you were talking, I was thinking um, conspiracy theories have been around forever. And it was probably easy, and it really did serve the purpose of reducing anxiety. If we all lived in a tribe, and we had decided that this type of monkey was to be avoided, or that when the sun was at a certain position, or if we saw a certain star, or whatever it happened to be, or the way that stones were arranged meant something, we all agreed. And so it really did serve to reduce anxiety. But in this complex culture... The conspiracy theories create such discord that they actually increase the anxiety. Because look at what we're saying. Could you imagine two kids are playing and one kid says, I can't come to school because I can't wear the masks. My mom says I can't wear the masks. Or, or teens who are told similar things. Teens get around it a little with their um, iPhones, etc. But when you realize that at this point, the very thing we would always use throughout the generations is simply not working because of all our wonderful advances, particularly in social media, which fuel all the different opposing conspiracies. Well, that's one of the uncomfortable aspects of a democracy, right? You have competing groups, you have competing points of view. They all are supposed to be able to equally contribute to the conversation rather than a homogenous culture where we all believe the same thing. We all have the same customs. And it's difficult to resolve that because uh, when you talked about back in our tribe, we did evolve in a world where you didn't have to face this. 
you lived in a group where everybody was on the same page. And if somebody wasn't, they were ostracized from the group and that was the end of them. Uh, so this 21st century, it goes back further than that, but this living in this world where you regularly have to confront people who disagree with some of the most basic beliefs that you have I mean, let's face it, uh, you can go back to the Inquisition or any other historical event. Where, That's true, yeah. Yeah, let's, let, we have to eradicate people who don't believe the same thing we do because <laughs> right, it's right. it's just too difficult to live with them. Uh, and that's exactly what we're facing now. Hopefully, we don't go down the Inquisition road, but it's not unthinkable. Well, the real thing, apparently, that makes us anxious is differences. Mm-hmm. Isn't someone not aligning with our belief system and how frightening that is on some basic in a very visceral, visceral level. So, um, Frank, if you were to give, given all that we've covered today, our listeners a take-home message about conspiracy theories, and your topic is, why are we all, su- your, your blog is, why are we all suckers for conspiracy theories? Um, what do you want to share with our listeners? We have national and international listeners out there. Well, I, the one thing I always push with my own students is we need to be more skeptical, especially about things we actually do believe. We're, we're good at being skeptical about stuff that we don't like, but we're a little too quick to not examine closely uh, some of our own cherished beliefs. So um, what I, I think would be helpful is if we really examine why we believe what we believe. How do we decide what is true? What standards do we use before we accept something? I think we're too quick to not worry about that. <laughs> I just, this is what I believe and that's all there is to it. Um, what the actual belief is, is I think not as important as how you get to it. And okay. if, you're in, if you're embracing conspiracy theories, almost by definition, you haven't gotten to it by thinking too hardly, too, too closely about the problem. So do yourself the favor of scrutinizing everyone, do what it is you believe in a little bit closer as yeah. if you were a scientist. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think so. But having said that, if I, I'd be collecting my Nobel Peace Prize if I had the answer to this problem, right? I mean, yes, yes, of course. Well, we do want to thank you. I want people to know that um, uh, Frank is a return a visitor, a very welcome visitor. He shared many, many, many important things on Psych Up Live. He has a blog on psychology today, which has many interesting and wonderful topics. Um, Frank, how could they find that blog? Well, you can just go to psych, well, just do a Google search with Frank McAndrew, Psychology Today, and the blog will pop right up. But uh, I also have a web page, uh, frankmcandrew.com, that has links to more than you could possibly want to know about me. But there is a link to my blog as well on there. So um, those would be the most direct ways to get there, I think. Okay. Um, Frank, I want to thank you again for returning to Psych Up Live. It is always such an informational and wonderful pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you, Suzanne. Okay, I want to thank my listeners. Remember, you can hear this and any prior shows, a podcast on my host site, my website, and the podcast apps on your iPhones and all the platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple. You could say, Alexis, I want to hear Psych Up Live. Um, please drop me a comment or a question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Until next week, please be safe. Thanks and be listening. 
thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, be well and be listening.